Take a Bible this morning, find Romans chapter 2. You can also take your bulletin out. There's some notes with what we're going to discuss. Last week I made a joke about the groundhog and winter, and this week we had a blizzard, and I came out of it with a cold and a sore throat, and so I repent of my attributing winter to groundhogs, and I affirm that winter is in the control of the Lord and not groundhogs. And uh, this morning we're talking about patience, and you get the opportunity to grow in patience by listening to my scraggly, nasty voice this morning. So this is a win-win. Week seven of nine, we're talking about the character of God, the attributes of God. We've talked about his holiness, self-existence, sovereignty, goodness, faithfulness, and power, which includes power over snow. This morning, we're talking about patience, and then in the next two weeks, we'll talk about God's wrath and God's love. Maybe you have heard it said, be careful about praying for patience. God will give you opportunities to grow in patience. I have found this week that it's true, be careful about preaching about patience. You will have opportunities to grow in patience. And so I'm excited for next week when we talk about wrath and I can grow in... I don't think it works that way. Let's start with a quote from John Calvin. John Calvin and Martin Luther, the twin towers of the Protestant Reformation. In some ways, you could say Luther was the heart of the Reformation. Calvin was the mind of the Reformation. It's a bit of an oversimplification. But Calvin comes out of the Reformation. He writes a book called Institutes of the Christian Religion. Outside of Scripture, one of the most influential books that's ever been written in the history of the world. And Calvin says this, The pious mind does not dream up for itself any God it pleases, but contemplates the one and only true God. It does not attach to him whatever it pleases, but is content to hold him to be as he manifests himself. Today, you and I use the word pious usually in a negative way. We talk about people being pious. We're usually today talking about someone who maybe is holier than thou or a little bit spiritual elitist. Calvin's not using the word in that sense at all. He's using the word pious essentially like we might use the word devout. They're very devout in their faith. They're very serious about their faith. And the point that he's making here is that you and I don't get to dream up any God that we want to imagine. That's not how this whole thing works. Our job is not to say, well, I want to believe in a God who is like this. Our job is to say, I believe God as he has revealed himself to his people in the scriptures. And there are things that the scriptures reveal about God that are very encouraging and comforting to us. God's patience is one of those things, although some of the things we say about God's patience this morning might surprise you. There are other things in the Bible, we're going to talk next week about God's wrath, that some people sort of bristle up against, and some people sort of bow up against, and some people say, I'm not so sure about that. Calvin's reminding us, this is not a vote. This is not a you come and give your best ideas about who God ought to be. This is come to the scriptures and listen to how God has revealed himself, or as he says here, manifested himself in the Bible. So that's what we're trying to do in this series. We're asking ourselves, 
What does the Bible say about God? How does it describe him? Who is he? What is he like? Not what we might dream up, but what does the scripture actually say? And this morning we're talking about patience. And so we'll begin with the definition. God's patience refers to the control God exercises over himself so that he does not immediately punish the wicked as they deserve. This is God's patience. It is not simply that God overlooks and ignores transgression. It is not simply that God turns a blind eye to evil and wrong. It's that there is a self-control that God exercises over himself so that he does not immediately punish the wicked as they deserve. It does not mean the wicked won't be punished. It means it will not happen immediately. I think we need to just stop and acknowledge, as you think about this definition of patience, this is not how you and I usually talk about patience in our lives, this sort of situation. I tried to brainstorm this week. How do we normally talk about patience in our own lives, us being patient? Sometimes it's a stage of life. Sometimes you just say, you know, uh, I really want kids, or I really want grandkids, or I really want kids and grandkids to get out of my house, or I really want a spouse, or I'm in a stage of life and I just want to get to the next stage and God is teaching me patience in this stage of life. Sometimes it's information. You're waiting for a piece of information. Sometimes it's, I'm trying to be patient while I hear back about a job opportunity. I'm trying to be patient as I hear back to see if my kids got into this school or into that school. I'm trying to be patient. I made an offer on a house and we're waiting to see if they're going to accept it. And we're just being patient in this waiting for information. Sometimes it's annoying people. Right? That was probably at the top of your list when we talked about patience. It's not that we have any of those people here at Emmanuel, but it's that out there you may from time to time encounter a person. Let's be honest, they just get on your nerves. Maybe it's the way they act, the things they talk about. Maybe it's a personality conflict. Maybe they're just mean. Maybe you're too sensitive, but there are people who are annoying, and sometimes we talk about patience, and we say God is teaching me patience through this person. Sometimes it's a situation, right? You're in Odessa, Texas, and the traffic at times is horrendous, and you say, I just, I'm not very patient in traffic, or you're in a line, or you're in a restaurant, and you're waiting for food. Hard for you to imagine, I know, in Odessa, Texas, but your order's been placed, and you're waiting for the food to come out. My family was waiting one night this week, and I thought, this is what you get for preaching about patience. We're going to wait. We're going to starve to death sitting right here. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. Patience. I went to get coffee this morning. I go early. No one's ever in line. I pulled up to my spot to get coffee. There was three people in line. And I waited through the first two cars, and the lady in front of me got up to the window, and I could see her hand. She was asking about every item on the menu. And I just, my hand was on the horn. I was so close to just black coffee, just get a coffee and get out of the way. So patience, it's a situation. You need patience. Maybe it's an event, something that you need patience. When you're a child, you you look at Christmas, you look at a birthday, and you just want that big event 
to get there. Maybe you're a senior and you're at this point in your senior year in high school and you say, I I cannot wait for graduation. I'm so impatient for graduation to actually get here. Look, this is kind of how we talk about patience, maybe how we talk about our lack of patience on a human level, stage of life, piece of information, someone who's annoying, a situation, a big event. This is not really what we're talking about when we talk about God's patience. It's not what we're talking about when we talk about God's patience. God's patience refers to the control he exercises over himself so that he does not immediately punish the wicked. We'll add to that. The Old Testament uses a phrase, slow to anger. Many times in the Old Testament you read this phrase, God is slow to anger. When the Bible uses that phrase, especially in the Old Testament, it's talking about God's patience. He is patient. He is slow to anger. And to save my voice, I'm going to skip these scriptures and I'm going to let you read them. Exodus 34, Moses has asked to see God's glory. God says, I'm going to let you see my goodness. And one of the things he says to Moses is, I'm slow to anger. The people have just made a calf idol. And the reason they lived after worshiping that idol is that God was slow to anger. He was patient. Many years later, they sinned again. They sinned again, this instance that I have in mind, by refusing to enter the promised land. And God talked about the possibility that he might just destroy them on the spot. And Moses prayed, and he reminded God of exactly what God said to Moses back in the book of Exodus. You can read it in Numbers 14. He says, wait a minute, Lord, you're slow to anger. You're patient. You told me that. You revealed your goodness to me in that way. So the Bible talks about God's patience as God being slow to anger. One of the things we mentioned a few weeks ago, and I just want to drop this in quickly, is that God's patience is part of his goodness. It's part of what we called his expressive goodness to his people. And we made a distinction a few weeks ago when we talked about the goodness of God between the inherent goodness of God and the expressive goodness of God. And so Psalm 19, 68 says this, you are good and you do good. You are good, inherently it's who you are, and you do good, you express that goodness to your people. And we made this distinction, inherent goodness and expressive goodness. We said his inherent goodness includes holiness, glory, beauty, perfection, righteousness. His expressive goodness includes love, mercy, grace, patience, and faithfulness. You could say that God's patience is his goodness to us when we least deserve it over and over and over and over again. He's slow to anger. He's patient. One last thought I want you to see. God's patience is entirely compatible with his justice. When we say that he's patient, in no way are we diminishing or minimizing the fact that he is just and righteous. Those two things go together. One of the places you see it so clearly is Nahum 1.3. The prophet says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and 
the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Both of those things are true. He's patient. He is slow to anger. He does not always immediately punish the wicked as they deserve. But he's not going to clear the guilty. He's just. And we don't take the attributes of God and pit them against each other as if we have to choose one or the other. They all line up perfectly as we think about God and his character and his perfections. His patience is compatible with his justice. When you step back and think about God's patience, one of the things I want you to understand is that this is, this is a remarkable truth. I, I thought this week, what is an adjective I could use? I, it's just remarkable, the fact that God is patient. Just as an example, I want you to think about the recent incident, Kobe Bryant and group of other people were in a helicopter and the helicopter crashed and you've seen it on the news and you've heard the story. And because Kobe Bryant is worldwide famous, there's been a lot of people on the news, on sports programs, on radio, talking about what they remember about Kobe Bryant. All these people knew him and so they all sort of get on the airwaves and they give us their memories of Kobe Bryant. And one of the things that struck me is all of these people who get on to give their take say something like this, here's the one thing I'll remember about Kobe Bryant. Here's the one thing that stands out to me about Kobe Bryant. And there was a list of different things that people mentioned. A lot of people said the one thing I'll remember about him is his competitive spirit. He was so competitive. And then you listen a little longer and someone says, you know, the one thing that I'll remember about him is his ability to focus. Basketball, uh, business, whatever it may be, he could just lock in and he could really, really focus. And then the next talking head gets on and says, you know what the one thing I'll remember is? Just his personality. Just the way it sort of felt to be in a room with him and the way he carried himself. And someone else comes along and says, no, no, no. The thing I'll remember is that he mentored younger players and he reached out to them. And that, that doesn't always happen in the basketball world. And then you had people who said, I'll remember him as a dad. I just remember how much he loved his his girls, and he loves seeing them succeed. And all these people, when they get a chance to give their take, say something like, here's the one thing that I'll remember. And I just want to warn you that when we're talking about God and his attributes, you and I don't get to walk away and say, let me just tell you the one thing about God. In fact, when you do that and you look back over church history, that's usually where false teaching and heresy comes from, where somebody says, here's all of these things that are true about God, but this one really is the only one that counts, and they ignore all the other things that we might say about God. That's when you usually theologically go off the tracks a little bit or a lot. So I'm not trying to say to you that God's patience is the most important one thing. I'm just telling you it's a remarkable thing that the God of the Bible, as he reveals himself to us, says, I'm slow to anger, and I do not always punish the wicked immediately like they deserve. And our friend A.W. Pink helps us think about this. Pink says this, how wondrous is God's patience with the world today. 
on every side, people are sinning with a high hand. How true is that when you look around the world? When you look around the world, do you see a lot of people seeking to honor God in their everyday lives? Do you see a lot of people humbly submitting before God and respecting his law? Do you see a lot of that? I don't see much of it. You see pockets of it. On every side, people are sinning with a high hand. The divine law is trampled underfoot, and God himself openly despised. It's truly amazing that he does not instantly strike dead those who so brazenly defy him. How do we account for that? The Bible accounts for it by telling us, among other things, that God is slow to anger, He is expressively good to people who don't deserve to experience his goodness. He's patient. There's a lot of places in the Bible I could take you to look and to think about God's patience. I'd like you to look at Romans chapter 2. Romans 2. I'm going to tell you the idea and then we're going to read it in the text. The idea in Romans 2 is this. God's patience is seen in salvation and judgment. God's patience is seen in salvation and judgment. Look at Romans 2. We're going to read verse 1 to 5. Paul has been talking about human sin, human rebellion, and he says this, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? You understand, he's not talking about people who make a judgment about sin and are seeking the Lord. He's talking about people who make a judgment about sin and then do the exact same thing. Do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? Or, verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath. Underline those words. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Look, the Apostle Paul is talking about God's patience and he's giving us two sides of the same coin. And when you and I think about God's patience, we dare not only talk about one side of this coin. Both sides are important. And here's the two sides. Paul says God is patient. He's slow to anger. The Bible is clear about that. That's how he revealed himself to Moses and Israel. But Paul says you need to understand, I need to understand, we need to understand that God's patience ends or terminates in one of two ways either with salvation or with judgment. 
And so let's just think about each of those briefly. First, salvation. Romans 2, verse 4, it's so clear. He says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God is patient with you. He does not immediately destroy the wicked. And the design in his patience is that you and I would have an opportunity to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus Christ. The fact that you're a believer today is not that you showed up being better or more holy than your unbelieving neighbor. It's that God has been patient with you. And he did not treat you as you deserve to be treated immediately. This is true on a micro level for the believer. It's true on the macro level just in terms of human history. And you can see it if you just turn the page in Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 25, Paul talks about the fact that in God's divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. He's talking about all of human history before the cross. And he says, look, God was patient in his forbearance, in his patience, in his kindness. He essentially passed over those sins. It wasn't that there wouldn't be judgment. It's that he knew the judgment would come at the cross. And so he was patient for all of those years, all of those millennia, waiting for the moment when justice would be served at the cross. And the result is salvation, the salvation of his people, the salvation of those who believe the good news about Jesus Christ. God's patience is designed to lead you to salvation. And then Paul flips the coin over, and he talks about judgment. And he presents an idea that's a little bit unusual to us. It's something that we don't think of very often. Romans 2 verse 5, he says, But God is trying to lead you to repentance. That's the design. But here's what's actually happening. Your hardened and penitent heart are causing you to store up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. And the fact, this is a frightening thought, just understand Paul's logic. Paul's saying the fact that God is being patient with you is only allowing some of you to commit more sin and essentially store up more wrath on the day of wrath. It is an absolutely terrifying thought. When I say to you, we're going to talk about God's patience, you say, oh, this is going to be great. God is patient. That is really good news for me. It is good news for you because his patience is designed to lead you to salvation. But don't play with God's patience because he says very clearly, some of you, because your heart is hard, will persist in sin you will be unpenitent, you will be unremorseful, and what you are doing as God is being patient to you is storing up more wrath for the day of judgment. You can read this again in Romans 9, just like Paul circles back to this idea of salvation, he circles back to this idea of salvation, and he talks about the fact that some of you are vessels of wrath. You are storing up wrath for the day of judgment because God is being patient and not punishing you immediately. At the same time, it's such an encouraging, hopeful thought that God is patient. And it also ought to cause you to fear. All in the same idea. 
Romans 2, God's patience leads to salvation or judgment. Those are the only two ends. How do we think about this? How do we wrap our minds around it? Let me just give you a human example. I'm not trying to, not trying to shame any parents here, okay? Just imagine that you're at the grocery store. Some of you are looking at that picture and you say, I've seen that. I've seen that scene, and I'm thankful you didn't show the picture where my kid's face is showing to the front. Or you're saying, I'm just happy you didn't show my kid laying on the floor. Just imagine the scene. Parent, young child, grocery store. Something happens, and the child just throws a full-on, right there, you're in aisle seven, a full-on, five-alarm, out-of-control, screaming, kicking, yelling, angry, temper tantrum, okay? For some of you, this is not hard to imagine. Some of you have seen this this week. Some of you maybe have experienced this at some point in your life. Just imagine the scenario, and imagine that you're the parent, okay? How will you respond to such a situation? You remember the pink quote we talked about earlier. God is patient. The world is defying him. The world is laughing at him. The world is refusing to submit to him or love him or, or worship him, and he's patient. How will the parent respond? By my reckoning, you've got about four options as a parent. Okay, this is happening on aisle seven. Option one is proceed immediately to aisle eight. Leave the child, pretend you don't know the child, hope that some good Samaritan will come along and adopt the child, just go on finish your grocery shopping, and forget about it. Okay, now look. You remember Moses talking to the Lord when the people refused to enter the promised land? Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm done. What did Moses say? God, you can't be done. It's not who you told me you are. Right? God's setting this situation up so that Moses intercedes for the people And Moses is reminding the people, and he's reminding us God is patient. He's slow to anger. He did not abandon them. That's really not how God operates. Option two, I called it the Barney Fife option. Nip it in the bud. Immediate, decisive action. For a lot of parents... When you're on aisle seven and this happens, that's exactly what you ought to do. It's not the time to reason with your kiddo. It's not the time to negotiate with the kiddo. It's just the time to say, I got to take action. Some of you are nodding and you're older. You're like, that's what my parents did with me. It was nip it in the bud, literally nip it in the bud. It's not like a parent would be outside of their rights to do that. That's the job of a parent, to discipline the child. And when the child throws a fit, a parent is entirely in their rights to say, no, that's it. There's a consequence. It's going to happen immediately. Look, sometimes in the Bible, God does that. When he does it in the Bible, we're often shocked. There's a sin. There's an immediate consequence. And we look up and say, what in the world is God doing? He's taking care of the problem. He's well within his rights to do so. Option three. The pushover. This is the parent who knows I got to do something, but I'm not going to respond with discipline. 
and I'm not going to just walk to the next aisle. So I'm going to enter into a negotiation with this child. And essentially what some of these parents end up doing is rewarding the temper tantrum with a sucker or with a screen or with whatever it may be. I'm I'm just trying to pacify you and get out of this situation and we're just going to move on. Other parents, the pushover, just sort of look at it and laugh at it. They're really not all that bothered by it. And they snap a picture, and I stole that one. Somebody took that picture I put up there a minute ago, and we put it on social media, and maybe we laugh about it and chuckle about it. I don't know. I just want you to understand, that's not how God ever responds to sin. Number three is not on the table as you think about God responding to the wicked. He's not going to respond as a pushover. He's not going to laugh at rebellion, ever, ever, ever. He's not going to reward it. He's not going to come to the the judgment day and say, now it's time for me and the rebel to negotiate. It's not an option. Fourth option, we're just going to call patience. Patience. And it's not that the parent is saying, this is not a problem. And it's not that the parent is saying, there's not ever going to be a consequence. Just that the parent perhaps begins to communicate with the child And to say to the child, this is what's expected of you now in this situation, and I'm giving you the opportunity to change, giving you the opportunity to repent. I just want you to understand as you think about this human scenario that's familiar for most of us, most of the time, God responds to you and I with patience. Most of the time. We sin we're stiff-necked, we're hard-hearted, we're stubborn, we love the things of this world, we refuse to obey the Lord in areas where we know we ought to obey Him, and most of the time, God's response towards us is patience. Patience. He's slow to anger. Could He burst out against any one of us like He burst out against Uzzah? Absolutely. Could he burst out against any one of us like he did Nadab and Abihu? Absolutely. Would he be well within his rights to treat us like he did Ananias and Sapphira when they lied about their offering in church? 100% yes. Most of the time, he's patient. Why? It's because he's giving us the opportunity to repent, to believe, to be obedient. But don't miss what Paul says in Romans 2. At the end, we're not going to laugh at rebellion. At the end, we're not going to pretend like it was not a big deal. At the end, we're not just going to sweep it under the cosmic rug and wink at it and forget about it. The accounts are going to be settled. And our rebellion, all of it, will be counted as paid at the cross or we will bear the judgment for it. And God's patience leads in one of two directions in your life, toward salvation or toward judgment. It is at the same time a comforting thought and a motivating thought. So what should it motivate us to do? How should we change? Last question, how should we live in light of God's patience? Number one, 
I think that we should give thanks. I didn't even try to look up a verse for this or give you a verse. I just think it's so patently obvious that we should look at our lives and say, God, how many times this week did I pull the aisle seven temper tantrum? The adult version is a little more dignified, but that was me. God, you could have burst out against me and you were patient with me and I'm thankful for that. I think we just ought to stop and be thankful. Secondly, we should repent. Just saying thank you is not enough. Paul is clear, Romans 2. God's patience is designed to lead you, to move you to repentance. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 3. And there's a warning in Ecclesiastes 8 I want you to see. The warning is this. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Don't let that be true of you. Don't count God's patience as a long leash for you to rebel. Don't do it. You're storing up wrath. Repent. Thirdly, we should worship. We should worship. Psalm 145, verse 8. David is talking about many of God's attributes. And in the middle of this psalm, he says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He's praising God. He's extolling God. He's worshiping God for who he is. The contrast is seen in Jonah 4.2. You can look it up. The prophet is sitting outside the city of Nineveh, waiting for God's judgment to fall on the city, even though God said he would be merciful, and he's grumbling about it, and he's complaining about it. And he's essentially lecturing God because he is a good God and a patient God. Don't follow that example. Follow the example of David and worship God and extol God for his patience. Fourthly, rocket science, here you go. We should be patient. You knew it was coming. You've heard the truism. This comes from the Gospels. People who have been forgiven should be forgiving. That's true. And it's also true that people who have received God's patience should in turn be patient. We went through that long list of scenarios earlier. and all of those scenarios and more, we should be patient people. Look at Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You go back and read it in context. Paul is clearly saying if the Spirit of God is at work in your life to make you more like Christ, these things will be true of you. You will increasingly be a patient person. And if that's true, the Spirit is working that in your life, He will do that through people in scenarios and situations that require you to have more patience than maybe you thought that you had. People who have received God's patience should be, in turn, patient people. And I just hit a quick time out. This is a whole nother sermon that I had to cut because I don't have time to put it in the notes or the message or any of it, but what's true for us individually should be true for us as a church. We should be a patient church family. And I'll give you just a few verses that speak to this. Colossians 3, 
talking about the people of God corporately, saying that we should be patient. James says, with our speech and our listening, we should be patient. Paul says, he's not talking to husbands and wives, he's talking to church members in 1 Corinthians 13. Your love for each other should be a patient love. 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells his his protege, Timothy, your teaching needs to be marked by patience. Be patient with people. Everybody's not in the same spot. Everybody didn't attend VBS like you did. Everybody didn't learn all the Awana verses you memorized. Everyone isn't the spiritual giant you are. Be patient in your teaching. James even says in your suffering, in our suffering, we should be patient. It should mark us individually, and it should mark us corporately. What a terrible thing if someone were to audit Emmanuel Baptist Church and come away saying, you know, they celebrate God's patience, but they are not very patient. We should be patient. Lastly, we should be hopeful. No pessimists. We should be hopeful. 1 Timothy 1, Paul tells Timothy, God showed patience to me as an example. He should have destroyed me long before he saved me, but he was patient, Timothy. He saved me. And it's a display, it's an example for everyone to see that God is patient and he's a God who saves undeserving people. Peter in a later book of the Bible, refers to what Paul told Timothy, and Peter says this, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And he's talking about the things that Paul has written. He's quoting Paul, and he says, look, look at God's patience and count it as salvation. In our lives, this is very much good news. God is patient with us. He does not immediately destroy us as we deserve. But he's at work for our good. He is showing us his goodness over time when we least deserve it. He's patient with us. And when we look at people in our family, people in this church, people in a community, people in Kenya, people all around the world, we see, God, why haven't you just, why haven't you just wiped your hands and, and said you're done with us? The Bible says count that as salvation. He's not done. He's at work to show his goodness to people who don't know it right now. That should make us hopeful. That should make us optimists. That should make us take the good news of Jesus out, not with a doomsday mentality, not with a defeatist mentality, but with optimism and with hope that God is at work to save people. He's patient, and that leads to salvation. So I want to pray for you as we end this morning. In his name, amen.